0: There's things we take for granted, you know, as athletes, as coaches. And sometimes when you have those things taken away from you, you really just realize how much they mean to you. And I think every opportunity we get to show up to work, every opportunity we get to showcase our talents or it should be done with gratitude. It should be done through gratitude. Gratitude should be the entry point to all that we do and all that we accomplish in life. And I think as long as we keep that as our center focus, your perspective In sport and in life, you know, sport right now, but definitely life in the future just changes.
1: Hey, welcome or welcome back to the Morning Shakeout podcast. I'm your host, Mario Fraioli, and my guest this week is Diljeet Taylor. Diljeet is the associate director of cross country and track and field at BYU, where she's coached since 2016. In 2019, her women's cross country team finished second at the NCAA championships, only six points behind Arkansas, and it was the first time the Cougars had been on the podium since 2003. Prior to BYU, Diljeet coached both the men's and women's cross country and track programs at her alma mater, Division II Cal State Stanislaus, for nine years. I'll tell you what, I absolutely loved this conversation, and I think you will too. We talked about how Diljit and her team have navigated the pandemic on both an individual and collective level. She told me about her emphasis on gratitude and why it's such a big part of the culture she's created at BYU, her mission of empowering women, and the importance of investing in people and not performances. Diljit and I discussed how she got into coaching, coaching, the influence Coach Frank Gagliano had on her decision to pursue it as a career, and how she makes it work as a mom of two kids and a full-time Division I coach. We also talked about the self-check she does every day, the effect of social media on athletes this day and age, balancing confidence with humility, and a lot more. Before we dive in, I'd like to give a shout-out to the sponsors that helped make this episode possible. First, a big thank you to Gatorade Endurance, This has been an interesting year, to say the very least. On the racing front, many events have been canceled or postponed, but many runners, myself included, have embraced opportunities to race virtually and still have a season of some sort. And with every racing season, there needs to be an off-season or a period of time when you recover from and reflect upon all the work you've put in over the preceding months. As athletes, the off-season is important and integral to taking our training and racing to the next level. It's also a good time to explore and experiment with new approaches and even new products for fueling. Personally, I've been using Gatorade Endurance Formula before and during some of my workouts recently to ensure that I'm adequately energized and hydrated, and so far, so good. I love the watermelon flavor, and it's also available in lemon-lime, orange, and cherry. I look forward to trying out some of the other products in their innovative and diverse line like Energy Gels, Energy Gels with Caffeine, and Carb Energy Chews, offering multiple fuel options that you can adapt to serve your energy and hydration needs. Check out and try some of Gatorade Endurance's different options for yourself this off-season. Use the code SHAKEOUT20 and get 20% off your purchase at GatoradeEndurance.com. That's GatoradeEndurance.com and use the code SHAKEOUT20 when you check out to get 20% off your purchase. Also, thank you to Inside Tracker, which I've been using to keep tabs on my blood work these past two years in an effort to optimize my nutrition and subsequently my health, performance, and recovery. Today, more than ever, it is essential that we are making the right decision to keep our bodies healthy. Be resilient, live better, or simply take on whatever the day may throw at us. The answers are inside you. Inside Tracker is the ultra personalized nutrition platform that analyzes your blood and DNA biomarkers along with your lifestyle habits to help you optimize your body and reach your goals. As we head into the holiday season, take advantage of Inside Tracker's best deal of the year and take control of your health and wellness with $200 off the Ultimate plan, which is their most comprehensive package. Use the code GIFTFROMMORNSHAKEOUT. That's GIFTFROMMORNSHAKEOUT shakeout at com, or check the show notes to make sure that you get it right. Okay, let's dive right into this one with coach Dilji Taylor. All right, Dilji Taylor, welcome to the Morning Shakeout podcast.
0: Thanks so much for having me.
1: So under normal circumstances, you and your team would be entering the championship season of cross country, but these are not normal circumstances. What have you guys been doing with the cancellation of the NCAA season and the NCAA cross country championships being moved to March at this point?
0: I think when we first realized that we were going to have the NCAA Indoor Championship canceled. It was a bit of a shock and it took a little bit of an adjustment and and I wouldn't even say shock. I I could actually use the word devastation as we were uh, standing on the indoor facility in Albuquerque the night before we were set to race the DMR. So that, that was hard to come back from Uh, even this many months later, it still gets me pretty down when you think about that. But I was really optimistic the weeks leading after that Indoor National Championship that we would get things back to normal. They had announced that outdoor was going to be canceled. And I was pretty optimistic that cross-country would continue on. And in the country, there are some conferences that are still competing like normal. We were really fortunate last week to be able to travel. Uh, actually, a couple of weekends ago to travel to Stillwater, Oklahoma to preview the NCAA course that will be used for the championship in March. But when we were notified in August that this, again, was going to cancel our 2020 typical cross-country season, at that point, it it wasn't really a devastation or surprise since we had already dealt with it before. I think it was for the athletes. For myself as a coach, I immediately got into fix-it mode Mm -hmm. and it was really, okay, what can I do this season in these three months to keep these women motivated and really just give them something that they can be proud of. And so we came up with a tentative season that included a 5k on the track. Tomorrow, we're going to race a mile on the track. We did run a cross country race. Um, So really just kind of staying present in the moment. And again, one of the things as a coach, it's really important for us as coaches to stay motivated and to not be on the emotional roller coaster of the highs and lows which for someone like me that that lives on passion it's hard for me not to go super high or super low but i think that's what i've learned since march is that we can get creative about this thing watching what bowerman did over the summer how they came up with some really unique racing opportunities within their own club and they had some really successful performances i tried to simulate something similar to that for our team here at BYU and I think it's it's been really appreciated by our athletes and it's still instilled some confidence in them so that when we do enter January of 2021 that we'll be ready we won't be so far away from that racing mindset or the experience of putting a uniform on because we've had the opportunity to do it a couple times so um it's not perfect there's no manual for this how how to coach through a pandemic we're just kind of figuring it out the best we can but I think I really just tried to get into fix-it mode and and thought about the athletes and here, let me give them something to put on their calendar since this other thing is being taken away temporarily.
1: Aside from that, on an individual level, speaking of the athletes, what have been some of the biggest things that they've been struggling with through this time of uncertainty and quite frankly, chaos?
0: I think for our women, and and it's varied, I have a, a large group of women, so I've experienced different emotions depending on what part of their journey they're in. For the freshmen, this is they didn't really get a track season in outdoor for their senior year, nor did they get a graduation. So they're just excited that they're in this program and they're getting to build base and and really just not have a ton of pressure put on them right as freshmen. But for my older women who had big goals, some of them are still struggling to get over what happened in 2020. Some of those women had an opportunity to to probably chase a national title. And that takes years. That's not a season worth of work. That's years of work. And and also some had qualifiers for the Olympic trials. And, And to miss out on those things, I understand that they're going to be sensitive about it. And so right now for those set of women, it's really just getting them back in the mindset of, let's refocus, let's regroup, and let's get excited about this next phase of training and what that looks like right now for us is just putting our head down and working hard and getting excited for 2021 but in order to get excited for 2021 they they have to grieve 2020 mm-hmm. and i have embraced that this this is part of the process in order for us to move on we have to share and be vulnerable about the grief that we felt over 2020 and i i share that i'm grieving with them when we talk about 2020 but i think we're at a place now where we can we can move forward but to be honest with you it was very hard for our student athletes and i'm very aware that they're going through something that other athletes have not went through and they're navigating it the best way they know how they're strong women they're resilient they're going to come back i always talk about the you know the comeback is always greater than the setback and so we're living by that that motto right now
1: What does that look like for you guys right now? Are you still meeting as a team on a weekly basis? Are you able to have workouts as a group? Uh, I'm trying to understand because I know it's different for... Different programs around the country. I had a conversation not that long ago with Gary Town at Chico State, and he can't even see his athletes right now, and that's really been hard for him and and his team. I know you um, and your squad have have raced a couple times, but have you been able to meet regularly for practice? And if so, like what impact has has that had on the overall group dynamic?
0: I think it's been extremely important. We are very grateful for the administration here at BYU that has supported and enabled us to continue to meet as a team. So we are really functioning. I I don't think the word normal can really be used in this situation, but as normal as possible under this, just under the safety, we're taking all of the safety into consideration as far as masking up and being really smart. Our team has done a very good job. We get tested um, on a random basis every week. And I think that we're, doing cross-training. We're really together a lot. So I'm very, very fortunate for that. So that feels very similar to the past. And and that's keeping us very hopeful. I can't imagine as a coach not being able to see them every day that that would be really hard.
1: From a strategic standpoint, in terms of, of training with everything being shifted, what has that looked like for your squad and your approach to how you're actually structuring the group's training right now given that the the cross country championships are now at an odd time of year and they're usually every fall and then indoors every, you know, early on in the year and then you've got got outdoor season like how are you thinking about that that flow and that rhythm since it's so out of whack right now
0: it's taken some consideration when writing the training block. But overall, I think because we still had that 5K in September, we went to Stillwater and ran a 6K last week. Our middle distance training looks very similar to what it's been in the past. Um, So that hasn't changed much, but we are now doing a few more things on the track that we maybe normally wouldn't do in November. Like I said, we're going to run a mile tomorrow just off of strength training and then we'll go back to base. And I think what it allows you to do, this is actually our June in a typical season. This would Mm -hmm. be June. So I I feel really good about shutting it down in a couple of weeks. We might get one more opportunity to race down in St. George. And after that, we'll probably take our break and then go back to just building base and going back to the basics of, of mileage. And you can never never underestimate the importance of just that strength training and, and building a base. So we'll go back to the basics here in early December. And as they venture off to go home for Christmas break, I think that will be a good break for them mentally too, because they're taking away what we've done this fall, which hopefully they have some really good takeaways of some performances and workouts that they're proud of. Um, but it has... it. It's interesting, it hasn't changed much now in the fall. However, going into January, I think how I write workouts is going to be completely different for that miler 3K group. I think 5K, 10K might look somewhat similar, but Mm -hmm. we'll be uh, probably under several inches of snow during some of those months and where we normally just train on our indoor track. I think I'll have to get creative about finding places that we can go to or... um, Using some opportunities, still run outside on grass if if we can find someone to help us out and make a path for us. But um, at that point, I think it'll take a little more thought. Right now, I think it's just the excitement. We're still doing some of the similar workouts we've done in the past, so they have some sort of reference point. But we're definitely not going to the well at all like we used to. <laughs> we used to train pretty hard getting ready for NCAA's in November. You just have limited uh, limited weeks of training from end of August, September to the third week of November. But now we've got, we were able to draw that out. And I have a really young crew brought in a good handful of, of young freshmen that I think it's actually going to benefit them to have a little bit longer to just adjust to this mm-hmm. type of training.
1: How about you on an individual level these past several months? What's it been like having your routine completely upended, not being around your athletes as much as you typically would be, not traveling to meets and just being caught up in the inertia of it all?
0: I think for me, it's just really reinforced how much I love what I get to do. And it's really made me realize that my passion is my profession no, my profession is my passion and my passion is my profession. The, yeah, it's interchangeable. I mean, I really love what I get to do and it was hard for me in the spring. The only trade-off is I have two small boys that for the last 15 years that I've been a collegiate coach, I haven't had the opportunity to be around for for some of the weekend games and just haven't had the opportunity to spend a ton of time at home on the weekends because of travel. And so I tried to look at the positive and really embrace those Moments with with my two boys, but I definitely missed my women, and and it, it was hard. It, it's not something I would have been able to endure for much longer. As soon as August rolled around and we were having a modified version of cross country training camp, I was very excited. And it, like I said, when you love what you do, you're really not working a day in your life, and that's that's what I feel. I, I've been kind of rejuvenated with a new level of gratitude. I think that's what we can all take from this. Pandemic and this time where our lives have been kind of turned upside down is is we can really focus on being grateful and that has changed my perspective a little bit. You know, even the pressure. I we last year were you know working really hard and had some big dreams and big goals, but with those big dreams and goals comes a little bit of pressure, and I'm grateful for that pressure. I, I'm excited to be able to have that pressure. Sometimes it can become overwhelming. But I think this time for me has really made me realize, understand and appreciate how much I love what I get to do. And I think I will definitely internalize the pressures that come with this, just with this job and with being a mom and a coach. I I think I'll definitely process those differently now because number one is just the gratitude that I feel for what we get to do.
1: That focus on gratitude, is that something you've also tried to pass down or emphasize more with your athletes during this time?
0: Yeah, it's always been a really important part of our culture. It's something that I try to teach them on a very small scale, but also a very large scale. And I think that, yeah, I, I after the Stillwater race, it, when I was talking to Float Track on that interview, I just... Yeah, we there's things we take for granted, you know, as athletes, as coaches, and sometimes when you have those things taken away from you, you really just realize how much they mean to you. And I think every opportunity we get to show up to work, every opportunity we get to showcase our talents, or it should be done with gratitude. It should be done through gratitude. Gratitude should be the entry point to all that we do and all that we accomplish in life. And I think as long as we keep that as our center focus, your perspective in sport and in life, you know, sport right now, but definitely life in the future just changes.
1: Despite the challenges of these past few months and the pandemic and everything that you've and your team have had to navigate, do you think ultimately this is going to be, I hate to say like going to be a good thing, but it's going to make you and your squad better and stronger in different ways?
0: I think through struggle always comes some type of strength. Any type of struggle, you come out stronger from it. And so while this this might not be the case for everyone, uh, I think for our team and our women here at BYU and myself as a coach and a person, I do think this will make us stronger. And I think, like I said, sometimes you need to take a step back and realize how good you have it. And in in so many different elements. But yeah, it, it is going to make us better. And I don't know that we're going to see that immediately. But mm-hmm. I do think that these women were chomping at the bit to line up on that course in Stillwater, Oklahoma. And I guarantee you the next time we get to race on an oval, these women will be chomping at the bit. And it's because they're working really hard right now, but also because they're so grateful that It's not I have to go to practice or I have to race. It's I get to. And so when you change that, that mindset has actually been shifted for us through this pandemic. I think that you're going to see a stronger group of women come out of this pandemic than who we were when we went into it.
1: Along those lines, I read an article on you not that long ago. I think it was in Women's Running with Erin Strout. But it had mentioned a book that you had picked up at the beginning of the pandemic called The Coffee Bean by Damon West and it went into how you used that with your team and I'd love for you to expound upon that here
0: yeah so I when this thing first happened back in March I first thing I did was I got on Amazon and I ordered five or six motivational books and they were all several hundred pages and I couldn't commit to any of reading any of those I just wasn't really in that place to shift through 200 pages of all of these different types of books. But the Coffee Bean, um, I had noticed that some of the football programs had used it. And it was just a small, it's not very long at all. Um, it was written by Damon West. And I read it. And I just think at the point that I was at, it was such a great way to look at life. And I I actually reached out to him and he came on one of our team Zoom talks and talked to the women, which was really powerful for us. Um, But it it was just a really good lesson. And I think that it was so applicable to, you know, just a simple lesson that can just change your approach to life and it can create positive change within you. Damon and I have now kept in touch. He sent me his other book and we've just been texting back and forth, but it really was well-received on my end um, for what we were going through. It was just kind of a perfect way to shift our mindset.
1: Could you just share that lesson that was contained therein with my listeners here?
0: Yeah, so it, it it basically just talked about life and life is hard and difficult and it can be stressful. And he refers to that as being very similar to a pot of boiling water. And so anything in our environment... That is hard. It can change us. It can harden us. It can weaken us. It it really just tests who we are. And so he, you know, I think he had a carrot, a potato, um, no, a carrot and an egg. So you can, sorry, I'm just trying to remember exactly what it was, but it was, it talks about you can be the carrot that weakens in the pot. So when you put a carrot in a pot of boiling water, it gets softer. Or if you put an egg in a pot of boiling water, we know that it turns into a hard boiled egg, it hardens. Um, But if you do a coffee bean, you put a coffee bean um, in a pot of boiling water, it transforms the environment around it. And so as we go through this hard thing, I really wanted to share that simple lesson with my women. Like, let's be like the coffee bean where we change the environment around us rather than letting the stress of the environment, mm-hmm. change us. Don't let it harden or soften you. Try to transform the environment around you. So super simple lesson, but I really enjoyed it. And I thought it was so applicable right then in April, May, when we were kind of trying to process all of this to, okay, let's, let's be a coffee bean.
1: Yeah, I, I love that. It's such a simple lesson, but it's so profound.
0: Yeah. And at first I just applied it to myself. I thought, okay, as a coach, my environment around me are my athletes. And so I need to be, you know, super upbeat, super optimistic, super hopeful. And then I thought, okay, well, how much stronger would we be as a team if I wasn't the only one that was applying this coffee bean lesson? What if my entire group of 30 women were transforming the environment around us? How much stronger would we be coming out of this thing? And so, yeah, I I've really enjoyed it. And like I said, Damon's story is amazing and he it just reached out to me right at the right time. And I think it's, it's such a good, simple lesson that we can all apply regardless of what our profession is, athletes or non-athletes, um, mm-hmm. coaches or not. I think just as people, if we work hard every day to transform the environment around us and, and be like a coffee bean, I think our world, uh, our communities, and just our spaces will be filled more, with more optimism.
1: Yeah, I think that's such a valuable takeaway. I'd love to shift gears here and go back to your beginnings. I'm interested in where you grew up and what your childhood was like.
0: So I grew up in Ceres, California in the Central Valley um, in a Punjabi home. My parents immigrated from India when they were my dad was in high school and my mom uh, and him had an arranged marriage. And so I was just a small town girl and fell in love with sports, was really encouraged by my parents to do sports uh, while I was growing up. And so that I fell in love with running. I think that, you know, we try every sport and then you find the common denominator that you're really good at is just the running part of the sport. And so, yeah, I just fell in love with running at a young age and um, that passion kind of took me beyond high school and um, just, yeah, I had a very different entry, I guess you could say, into coaching and athletics. But I, I was fortunate enough after college, I ran for Cal State Stanislaus, which was a small Division II school in Turlock, California, and ran the 800 and the 1500. And I had an opportunity after I graduated to run with the Nike Farm Team, coached by Gags. Out in Palo Alto, we trained at Stanford. And so I did that for three years. And that that's really where I kind of got the coaching bug. Mm-hmm. And that that really was from Gags. I'm not sure how familiar you are with Gags, but he's an icon uh, in in the sport of track and field and just in the coaching world. I still communicate with him on on a regular basis. He's one of my biggest mentors. And he just pulled me aside after practice one day and asked me if I ever thought about going into coaching. And I had never considered that. I had gotten a degree in liberal studies and was planning on being a teacher. Maybe a professor had entered my the master's program in multilingual education. So I, I wasn't really thinking about coaching. But simultaneously, at the same time, my old college coach, Kim Dice, had contacted me and said that she was going to be moving into administration and the job at Stanislaus was going to be open. And she would have really liked for me to consider that. And so two powerful people in my life had kind of put the same message across to me. And that was kind of what started my entry into coaching. I coached at Menlo College for a couple years just to get my feet wet. And as soon as Kim moved into administration at Cal State Stanislaus, I became the head cross country coach for men and women. And that rest is history. Here I am. I was there for 9 years and and this is definitely it for sure is my calling in life. I'm grateful that Gags saw that in me long before I ever had the opportunity to and I think I think that is what coaching sometimes is. It's not all about you know what you do on the track. I think it's just about identifying potential in people and so I'm super grateful to him and very loyal to him for for seeing that in me because it has opened an entire world of opportunities and an opportunity really the biggest one is for me to empower people. And that here at BYU is, has been great. This is my fifth year here now at BYU after being at Cal State Stanislaus for nine years. So, um, yeah, I just have become really passionate about empowering women. I'm now the women's cross country and associate associate director at BYU, kind of a long title. Um, but yeah, I just, I'm really grateful for that transitional time in my life where I was lucky enough to train with some of the best athletes in the country that now have become some of my closest friends, but also to have started that relationship with GAG's.
1: I love that. And I don't want to skip over too much. And we're going to dig into all that here in a minute. But just since you mentioned him, and he's such an important person in your life. So I had gags on my podcast two years ago. And it's still the only podcast that he's ever done. I actually had to explain to him what a podcast was. I was in his house um, in Rye, New York in yeah. May of 2018. Uh, a mutual acquaintance had had connected us. And we had this hour and a half long conversation, which I'll send to you after this so you can listen to it. I think I listened
0: to it. I I think I did listen to it. Yeah.
1: And I mean, he's someone I had known about before that conversation. That was the first time we'd met and I'd ended up spending like half a day with him. And the conversation itself was really impactful on me, but so was the rest of the day. And we've stayed in touch since then. We talk probably every three or four weeks. And he is just like... I mean, you know better than anyone. He is just like the, the coach's coach or, or like what I, I think like the platonic ideal of a, of a coach should be. He cares so much about the people in his life and it's so obvious in any interaction that you have with him. And from what I know about your approach to coaching, you can see a lot of that in how you interact with your women, how you treat them uh, and how you mentor them through not only their athletic journey, but this very crucial period in their life.
0: Yeah. I mean, if I talk too much about him, I'll probably start tearing up, but he he for sure is you know, I think every person has a list of five people that have influenced or inspired them or changed their life. I, I definitely aspire to be that for my athletes. I wanna be one of their five. Um Gags for sure is is one of my five and I I learned a lot from him, not just about the sport, but really the art of coaching. And mm-hmm. I think that is, it's way more than X's and O's, what we do as coaches. And I, I think he taught me that athletes really don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I've really remembered that no matter how good we've gotten, if we have great races or bad races, I think that's just such an important lesson that he taught me. For sure. And, uh, it, yeah, he has definitely molded me into the coach that I am, and he continues to do so. I mean... I receive texts from him after almost every competition. He keeps up on what we're doing here at BYU, and yeah, he doesn't I, miss a beat. No, and I know he's super proud of me. And if I don't respond to a text within a day, he's texting me again, like, "Hey, are you okay?" Um, but no, he's great. I, I owe a lot of my success um, to him seeing something in me, and and also to continue to support me. I, at this age, at forty three, and being fifteen years in to coaching or 16, I I still work hard to make him proud.
1: Back to your initial interaction with him as an athlete. How did you end up on the farm team? Did he recruit you to be a part of the group? Were you looking for a situation where you could continue your career? I'd love to understand a little bit more about that time in your life.
0: Yeah, we were at a small invitational at San Francisco, and he had a couple of his B-level athletes running there. And I think he just had a conversation with my collegiate coach and she just asked me if that was something that I would like to do. And I saw it as such a great opportunity as athletes. Sometimes we don't want to see that chapter end. And I definitely wasn't ready for that chapter to end. Little did I know that going there would set me up in, in on such a different trajectory in life. Um, but that was how it just started with a simple conversation. I was running the 1500 and I was a super low mileage runner. And I think Kim just talked to gags and they had a simple conversation. And then I had a conversation with him. He said, Hey, why don't you just come out for a couple practices? Let me look at, let me look at you. Let me get to know you and, and see how you work out. And we hit it off really well. Our personalities are very similar. And I think he just, you know, I was never the best athlete on that team. I just think he loved the energy that I brought to the team. And we, we connected and got along really well. And um, it, it was such a special time for me. I met some of my best friends there and really had a great experience learning from him.
1: What were some of those biggest lessons and impressions that he made upon you?
0: Well, I never ran faster than 206 in college. Gags introduced me last year at the armory in New York to someone and he looked over at me and said, You ran 201, right? Was it too flat or 201? I mean, that just goes to show you like it, it was so much more than just what we were building so much more than what we were doing on the track. And it, it's really the biggest thing I learned from him in the that time is that coaching is all about relationships. And I could see that in 25, 30 athletes that he had on the farm team they all wanted to make him proud. They all wanted to have this relationship with him. He brought joy and happiness and just a different just a different vibe to practice when he was there. And I think it's so important to remember the energy that the person who is leading you has, it does filter into your entire team. And so because he was so caring and humble but yet very, very confident. Um, it just, it just, it inspired us all in different ways. And he was able to reach and connect with us. And and that is what coaching is. It's about connections and it's about relationships. And he doesn't remember any of our PRs right now, but he remembers what we brought to the team. Mm-hmm. And so I try to use that all the time. I think it's more than just your accomplishments and your All-American honors and school records. It's You want to be more than that.
1: Well, just hearing you speak a little while ago about how you've handled yourself during this pandemic period and how that has rubbed off on your athletes, how you set the tone and just hearing you Describe Gags doing that for you uh, when you were one of his athletes. I mean, you can you can see that correlation, and you can see you know how it's how it's rubbed off.
0: Yeah, and that's why I contribute to a like I continue to attribute success that I have as a coach now to the things that I learned from him that didn't have to do with workouts. Yes, the Michigans and the different types of, you know, 1500 meter breakdowns and all of that stuff was great, but it was it was more than that. Much more than that.
1: Yeah, I mean those I don't want to call those details like window dressing. Um but in the grand scheme of things, like they they really are when you consider like what your real job is as a coach and the actual impact that you have on athletes and as you just described a minute ago what they're going to remember well after their career is over.
0: Yeah, and it's important that those memories that we teach our athletes to to really cherish those memories because athletes that competed for me a decade ago and now are in a completely different phase of their life, the memories that they remember, yes, it is the accomplishments, but it's much more than that. It's it's the memories that they made. It's the culture you create on your team. I think that that is another thing I learned from Gags, that the culture on the team has to be positive. And um, it's really, we are really impactful as coaches if we if we invest in people. That's not performances let's invest in people the performances will come
1: since we're here let's continue down this road how have you gone about building a program and creating that culture at BYU over the last 5 years
0: it's really important for me to have a group of strong women and that has been the main focus since day 1 since coming here was let's create a culture of empowered women and that is really the reason why we've had the success that we had um, and are continuing to have is, is because I somehow have found a way to show these women how to believe in themselves and that I believe in them. And I think when you do that, it, it really translates to women feeling confident. And when you have that level of competence and their talent is there, right? At this level, I'm, I'm able to recruit talent. And, and just like every other good program in the country or every other program, you're going to get talent in your program. It's just how do you develop that talent and how do you motivate that talent? But most importantly, does that talent know that you believe in them? Do they know that, that you're, you know, they're more than just, it's not just about performances. It's more than that. And so I think... Um, I think that has been really the most important thing to me is if you leave this program and maybe you don't chase, maybe you didn't achieve all of your athletic dreams that you were chasing when you were here. Maybe you did. Um, But if you leave an empowered woman and you're strong and you're confident, you can go turn around and do that for someone else, then my job is done. My self-check every day is like, did I empower someone? Um, And so... That's really, really important to me. And I I, sometimes you do lose sight of that as a coach because you can get a little greedy. Um, But I try to keep myself in check that that that's my purpose. My purpose is to empower women. That's why I'm here at BYU. I get to do it with these women. And that was very important from day one. And I think I just, as long as I keep that as an important part of our team culture, I think we'll continue to see the things that we... um, have been seeing in the past.
1: Talk to me about the hashtag BYU run for her. I've seen that tattooed on some of your athletes. (laughs) I've seen it um, flying around on various social media channels. Can you expound upon that for me?
0: Yeah, we were trying to come up with a slogan or a logo or a motto, something one time at cross country camp. And I I actually, we were throwing out all these different options. And I think it was our trainer at that time. Or um, He said, what about, BYU run for her was a lot of things I talk about is every single one of us has that her, that little girl that fell in love with the sport, Where, wherever that happened in, in you know, if you were 10 or 12 or 14, um, we we all have that her and the run for her is, I always ask them to run for her, run for that little girl that fell in love with the sport. Sometimes the run for her is is other women who maybe don't get this opportunity when we're at meets and not everyone gets to travel. The her is the sisterhood, the the team that that we left back at home. Um, and it's interesting sometimes people think the BYU run for her is because I'm a female coach, but it's actually nothing about me and all about them. So it's really just about that little girl that fell in love with the sport. And I think when when you keep it simple like that, it takes some of the pressure off too because every woman wants to make that little girl proud.
1: Is that how you also get buy-in from your entire team? So, sport like cross-country, you've only got you know seven who are on the scoring team and can compete in the bigger races toward the end of the season. But the the team, the program, is is much bigger than that. And you'll have some women who will never be in that top seven and they'll they'll never score. But something like that makes them feel a part of of something bigger and like they're actually contributing. Yeah, I, I
0: think the We've created a sisterhood here and the her can also be the sisterhood. And so when when we have success, it's really important for all of us. It's it's that trophy that we got last year at NCAA's, we had a group of women that met us at the airport when we landed and that that was for them. It, it's 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 not just the seven on the line. That that's why we don't have individual names on our uniform, right? We have BYU and that represents the entire group of women here. And they are the most excited group of women. I think it's important for us to teach women to be happy for other women's success. And I try to show that. I have a group of female coaches that I'm pretty close to, and I'm always very happy for their success. Someone else's success does not take away from your own. And so I try to practice that and I think that I try to teach that to the women too. Let's be happy for your teammates as long as you're doing your best. Their success isn't taking anything away from your own and and it's very hard. I think that comparison in programs is is really normal, and especially now with all the social media outlets and all the information that is found out on the internet you you really can compare anything practice mileage um so I think I think it's important to talk about being happy for other people's success, but also that comparison is the thief of joy. And we can get caught up in that. So really just want to compare ourselves to who we were yesterday or last week, last month, last year, last season, but not necessarily uh, to the person training right next to us. And that that's a lot harder to do than to say, but I, I try to remind them of that.
1: How often is your group of women talking about avoiding the the comparison trap and making sure that they don't get sucked into a social media rabbit hole where they're comparing themselves to other teams, other women on their own team, um, or in the sport, that sort of thing.
0: I probably talk about it in every individual meeting that I have because it does come up in some form. Usually when individuals are struggling with it, which we have a lot of people that, um, do sometimes struggle with that. That's a very normal behavior and I try to normalize that behavior. So I'm not going to shame that behavior. I want these athletes to come to me. I want the women to come to me when they're feeling these types of feelings so we can talk it out and I really just keep that open door and and normalize the comparison. Last year we had some of that, probably more than I've ever experienced in in my entire coaching career. And it was a great learning tool for me moving forward of, of how to manage those feelings, but also not to not to discount them and not when teammates want to beat each other um, that's a normal feeling to have you want to have mm-hmm. competitive women in your program that's how you you know raise the tide, but you also want to make sure that that competitiveness is not going down a negative path and so I think again just normalizing that behavior it's really normal for people to have these emotions it's normal for you to feel this way but here's here are some of the things that we can do let's focus on your individual comparison and where you're at and so i think really being vulnerable and 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 sharing we talk about it a lot um i think it's part of coaching athletes and it just kind of goes hand in hand with the competitive aspect of who we are as people. But we, we do discuss it quite a bit and almost comes up in every individual meeting I have.
1: You've been coaching at the collegiate level for 14, 15 years now. To what level has social media in recent years affected your athletes on an individual level or your team as a whole?
0: So I, I didn't grow up with social media. And so when it started just becoming so apparent that everyone was posting workouts and you have all of these apps that you can track mileage, you can look up what you know, all of the pros are doing. And um, I shied away from it. And I really just enforced like, guys, I don't want you on social media posting about workouts. I don't want you on Strava posting what pace you're running and how much mileage you're doing. Like, let's just keep that in your... I'm old school. I like mm-hmm. the running log that is a book that you have to like actually write in and then you turn the page and you add up your mileage for the entire week and you talk about how you felt and um, two good things and one bad thing from the hard workouts and the races um, or like not one bad thing, but one thing that you want to improve on. Um, so I, I keep it towards that and I really try to have them shy away from getting sucked into uh, all of these different types of I guess it can be good but also I just I really avoided it and I did that early on uh back at Cal State Stanislaus and so it was easy for me when I came to BYU to just kind of instill that same team rule like guys we're not going to do this and it they've been really receptive to it and it's been fine I'm even a little nervous about a couple times that flow track has come out I you know yeah, I just don't feel entirely comfortable with it. I know it's been great for our program and for recruiting, um, but I, I really like to just work hard in silence, let success be your noise. And so we don't want to talk about what we think we can do. We don't want to talk about what others think we can do. We just want to work hard. And when the time is right, then we showcase our hard work.
1: I appreciate you sharing that. I think it's such a fine line to walk. Certainly, as a, as a collegiate athlete and, and coach and program. But I mean, I see it with a lot of the adult runners that I coach. It can become real easy to get sucked into a comparison trap on social media or to be completely consumed with what other people are doing on Strava to the detriment of yourself because then you're not focused on your own training or your own goals or the things that, that you need to improve. You're just in this in this constant pattern, which is hard to get out of, of just comparing yourself to what everyone else is doing.
0: The problem with those comparisons, too, is we never are going to look at someone, like, say we run 40 miles a week. We're not going to look at athletes that are running 30 miles a week, right? Like, we're going to look at like, wow, these people are running 60 miles a week. And so then it always makes you feel less than, like you're not doing enough, which makes you then internalize, like, uh, it just… Shatters that self confidence a little bit. And so I, I want to really focus our energy and time on doing things that build our self confidence. And when you get stuck into that comparison trap, I think sometimes we're comparing against, you know, an 18 or 20 year old young woman is, is comparing to a 28 year old Olympian. There's mm-hmm. two different phases of life.
1: Yes. I I couldn't agree more. I want to jump back to your relationship with Gags here for a minute. When did he plant the seed for you that you could be a coach or that it's an avenue you should explore?
0: It was my second year with the farm team. And I come from a family that I didn't think would view a female coach as a profession. Um, I, I just didn't really think about it. I mean, it for me, I didn't. And in all honesty, it wasn't foreign to me. I had a female coach in college. Uh, Dina Evans had coached at Stanford. I had a relationship with her. So I was aware that women coach, women can be moms and coaches. And so th- those ideas weren't foreign to me uh, for other people. It just was, how am I going to now explain that I've come back after following this dream of running Mm -hmm. post-collegiately to now, actually, I'm not going to go into education. Um, I'm going to be a coach. And so I just think my parents, they were very supportive and I'm super grateful for their support, but I I just never really thought that that was going to be a career path for me.
1: What do you think gags on you that made him suggest coaching as a career path for you?
0: You know, that's a great question. I think one is I love to have conversations about workouts. And so the men would finish after us. So the women would finish. And a lot of times we would just go um, to SMI to do ice baths. But sometimes I would hang around a couple times afterwards just to really see what some of the men were doing. And then I would say, oh, he's going to run this in the 1500 or he's good. And so we would just start having conversations like that. And maybe not every athlete, you know, we coach a variety of athletes. Some of our athletes show up to practice. They don't even know why they're doing the workout that they're doing and they don't care. They just want to do the workout. They get it done and then they move on. And some athletes want to know the why behind it. And when am I going to feel this benefit and how many days? And and so I would just have those conversations where I just started asking questions, but it wasn't questions because I was doubting his, you know, Mm -hmm. writing of workouts. It was questions because I was curious. I I really wanted to kind of put two and two together. And I think at that point, he just said, well, have you ever thought about going into coaching? It's like, no, never. Um, So that was kind of how the seed was planted.
1: Had you been that way before you came onto the farm team like in your on your college team, would you ask the coach the why's behind the workouts or you know stick around to see what other people were doing and, and ask questions in that way or did that really start under gags?
0: I think it really started under gags i I was excited about workouts and I always wanted to compare the workouts that I did to people that um, Kim had coached in previous years but I I wasn't really curious as as to why or how it applied or different training blocks and strength gags is big on strength. So he always talked about strength and the importance of it. And I think that's really where I learned, okay, this is so, this is such a crucial part of our training, the strength training. Um, but I think it was, I was just a little more mature in the sport and I was mm-hmm. curious and he would just be sitting there on the chair. And so I would just have these conversations with him and, and also just, I love cheering on other people and empowering people and wanting them to do well. And I think he must've saw that. Um, I also have a lot of passion for the sport. And so what better way? I mean, now I I get to be around it for the rest of my life. And that's not the same for people when their collegiate or post collegiate career ends, they then go into the real world and not everyone is fortunate enough to continue to go to track meets. And so I, I was, Super lucky. When did it
1: click for you that coaching was going to be your path? Like I know you mentioned getting started at Menlo College and then moving on to your your alma mater, but at, at what point of, of that journey were you like, yep, this is it. This is what I, I want to be doing. This is what I'm meant to be doing?
0: I think it was a couple years after I started at Stanislaus. Um, we had our first baby. And I think like every other young mom, you kind of have to figure out what that looks like and how you're going to balance that and which path you're going to choose. And and to be honest, up until that point, I really probably would have assumed that there would be a period of my time that I would be home and just be there all the time. But I was not able to walk away from coaching to do that um, because I had fallen in love with this profession that I felt was so rewarding and you actually visually get to see the difference that you're making in these athletes' lives. And I think at that point it was it was pretty clear to me and my family that I was going to juggle both, not really sure how, but that I really wanted to. There wasn't a way to give that up. I There's no way I could have walked away from it.
1: How have you gone about balancing it because you've had another child since then you've moved on to a bigger Division one program which has more demands on you know your time, your energy all all that sort of stuff. like how have you made it work as a full time coach at the collegiate level and as a mom of two kids?
0: Well, I think that I really really love what I do and so I think that's really important. I have a ton of support at home and that is crucial. You have to have that family support. Um and then I've realized that it's actually this work life balance as coach mom, it really doesn't exist. It's it's more just like a compromise. You're always going to be giving a little here and taking a little here and I know for me I can do two things really well and so I can, I know that I'm a wife, I know I'm a coach, I know I'm a mom, but there are certain times of the year where I can just be a like, not that I'm not going to be a wife, I just can focus on two and really dominate those two. And then there will be other periods of time where it's like, okay, I can be just a mom and a wife and I'm still a coach, but that's not just, you know taking all of my energy and time. I mean, obviously, NCAA championship, the whole two weeks that lead up to that, it, I probably am more of a coach and less of anything else. Um, but it, it just goes in waves. And so I think I've just realized that I love everything that I do and I'm going to work hard to make it work. There's really no other option. Um, but it is much more of a compromise. And as soon as I realized that at Division II, I was super fortunate. Most of our trips were day trips And the recruiting looked different. The travel definitely looked different. I wasn't gone away from home nearly as many nights. Um, Luckily, when BYU contacted me, both my boys were starting were going to be in school, and it was just really good timing. But the travel the first year did hit pretty hard. It is a lot of nights on the road. Um, But I was at a at a point in that I could. I was almost out of the trenches, you could say. When you have two boys under the age of five, you're kind of in the trenches. But I was coming out of the trenches, and so it was a good transition for me to jump up to the D1 level.
1: How do we get more women involved in coaching, not just at the... Collegiate level, but beyond, we're starting to see some of it professionally. Shalane Flanagan's working with um, her group, Bowerman Track Club. Lauren Fleshman's got her group. Um, we've got Shayla Houlihan down in Arizona who has has a group now. You know, we're seeing women become directors at the Division One level. Like, what what more can be done to get more women involved and let them know that this is a viable career path for them?
0: Well, you have to see her to be her. I think the more visibility we get amongst females in coaching, the more you're going to see women pursue it as a career path. But I think it has to be more than that. I mean, we really need to do a, a, a better job of identifying women who want to go into this career path and then really setting up some sort of system or workshop or three-year plan, five-year plan to help them progress in the sport. The attrition rate for women... um, in coaching is usually around the time that they start a family. I think sometimes women feel like they have to choose one or the other. I understand that, but you don't have to choose. You you can make it work with both. And I think, um, I think again, the more women we have that are doing it, I think it will open opportunities for others to say, okay, she did it. I can do it too. And um, we just want to make sure that we retain those women and we want to make sure we get good women in coaching. I think that that's really, really important. I I, I really hope that I can inspire some of the younger women that are seeing me with a family and coaching that yes, you can juggle both. Um, but I think we we just need to do a better job of supporting those young women when they get into the profession.
1: Going back to the early parts of your coaching career, or looking back, I should say, to the early parts of your coaching career, how have you grown the most as a coach?
0: Oh, so many ways. So many ways. Um, I think when I first started coaching, I was definitely attached to outcomes. And I think that... It was less about the journey and all about what we were trying to do. And, and obviously, I was in a Division II program. I was trying to get kids to nationals, and I wanted to get them to be All-Americans. And I just thought that was, that was the way to do it. it, was just focus on the outcome. And these are all the steps I'm going to do. But the most important part is this outcome. And the longer I've been in coaching, I think the biggest lesson I've learned is it's so important to focus on the journey. And the outcome then will take care of itself. And it, it is normal for us as both as athletes and coaches to we do we attach excitement with outcome that that is but I think the longer I've been in this arena I've learned that the fulfillment actually comes from the journey and so it's really important to focus on on the process
1: would that be the advice that you'd give to your younger self if you had that opportunity
0: Yeah. I don't know that there were a ton of mistakes made by focusing on the outcome, but I'm pretty sure that if I would have continued to do it, it would have been really debilitating for me as a coach. And so, yeah, I I give that advice to even my athletes now. I think it's just so important in this sport that we we keep sight of the process and, and we focus on that. And realize that our real fulfillment does come from that. And while we are excited and winning is the best drug in the world, it is, it is. but the sport is much more than that. And so I think that I would definitely talk to my younger self about that and also just about the grind, right? There is no elevator to success. You have to grind out the stairs. And there were times where I felt like I probably was going down the stairs and not up. And it's easy to lose a little bit of hope, but I think that's part of it. That is how you get to the top, is sometimes you're gonna go down the stairs, but there's no quick way to get there. And that patience that I've learned through coaching for this long is easy for me to then be patient with the athletes. I have freshmen in here all the time that are ready right now to do these big things. And it's easy for me to be like, hey, it's going to take time. We wanna do this the right way, We're not going to cut corners and we're just going to do it the right way. Um, And that takes time. And so I would definitely talk to that younger, more impatient, little bit greedy uh, (laughs) Coach Taylor and, and give her those bits of advice.
1: Have you always been a competitive person? Yes. Take me back to some of your earliest memories or manifestations of that as a kid.
0: Oh, in everything I've done ever. Um, it's actually not really, it's a blessing and a curse. Um, sure. My grandpa taught me how to play chess at a really young age, super young. And I didn't realize I was playing with someone that was so gifted, but I could not understand why I couldn't beat him because I would get very close and then he would checkmate and it would be so frustrating. And now I realize um, he was letting me play longer so I could learn the game and then checkmate me, you know? Um, But I just wanted to win. And playing one-on-one basketball with my older brother, wanted to win. I was a tennis player. I never ran cross country in high school. And the coach even said that you don't have talent. You just really love to win. And so you'll just run to every ball and get it back over because you don't like to lose. And so I think, yeah, board games, a- anything. I-, I just am. I think that's one of the things, right? You just you can see it in people who are competitive. And like I said, it's not always a great thing, but many arguments in our family arise from the level of competitiveness <laughs> that exists within me. Um, but I am I am very, very competitive. And my women know that. Um, but I try to keep it in check. It's not everything. Winning isn't everything, but um, It's good to be competitive. It's a good trait.
1: Has that competitiveness ever gotten you into trouble?
0: It's gotten me into a lot of arguments, um, (laughs) particularly in my house. But yeah, I think sometimes with that level of competitiveness can sometimes come a little bit of greed um, because you want it so bad. I I think at the age that I'm at now, I really have a lot of self-talk. And it's easy to keep things in perspective and not let that competitiveness get ahead of me. But I I would probably say I'm sure I've made some mistakes throughout my coaching based on competitiveness and just – but it's different when it's with your athletes, right? You can be a competitive person within yourself, but it's easy for me to – have conversations with these athletes and yes, notice that they have this same competitive mindset and that sometimes that might be a little bit destructive. And so I can navigate those competitive feelings into maybe changing the focus or shifting it onto something else because I can experience what I feel, what they're feeling. Um, But I don't ever want to change that completely because I feel like that is, it's a good thing to have to be that competitive.
1: You just have to channel it in the right ways.
0: Yeah, you got to channel it. I have an athlete like that now and I, I have to always have the reins um, because she is so, so competitive. Um, but it's good if you channel it the correct way, it can yield some really good results.
1: From a training standpoint, how has your philosophy, um, the X's and O's of what you're assigning the athletes, evolved since you first got into coaching 15 years ago?
0: I think I've learned more. Uh, it had to change again when I moved to altitude because training at altitude is a lot different than training at sea level. And, and then just adjusting it with the type of talent that you have. Um, so it's, it's an ever-learning process. I, I don't think that you ever master the X's and O's of coaching. And obviously the science is what it is, but I think I've gotten, I've gotten more confident in the X's and O's, if that makes any sense. I, I feel like in my early years of coaching, you put together these training plans and I would write it out in three-week blocks. And I still do that um, just because I'm a little bit OCD. But I try to write it out in three weeks. And if things weren't going, exa- I mean, I was going to stick to those three weeks. That That is what we were doing. This is a medium week. This is what we're doing. This is a hard week. But now I think I kind of have a general idea of what I want to do, but I feel like I'm more flexible with the X's and O's. And I think that that actually has translated to better performances from the athletes. Really reading the athletes changes how the X's and O's are written. Being able to understand if they're recovering um, and and where they're at and looking at fatigue, maybe you change some of the reps. But yeah, mm-hmm. I think that that has gotten more flexible. It was very rigid when I first started and it was almost a checks and balances. I would write these training. And then I would go to the races as a coach in my first couple of years and hope that everything would go well because then that meant that the training was good. And, and that's not always the case, right? Sometimes kids just have bad races because it's part of racing. You just have bad races. But I almost needed that assurance in the early years of coaching like, yes, I did do it correctly. And and I don't think I need that anymore as much. I feel much more confident in the X's and O's. Um, but I think I'm much more flexible in when I write the training and I can read athletes a little bit better and understand their strengths and weaknesses and um, better at monitoring and adjusting and not being so rigid and so stuck with a training plan.
1: How do you account for individual differences amongst your athletes in a group environment?
0: Well, every every individual on our team has an individual training plan, an individual mileage need, individual cross-training need, individual, everything. And so we try to keep that really athlete-based. It's not program-based, it's based on the athlete. And there is not a one-size-fits-all type of training that works for any woman in this program because no two women are alike. And so everyone's long run looks different, the paces look different. Um, And sometimes the longer the women have been in the program, they just understand where they're at and what their different looks like for them. So um, that's also why we have to really talk about not comparing because there's always going to be someone that's doing more than you. And there's always going to be someone doing less than you. And you just have to focus on the you. So I really do like the individualized aspect of, of the training.
1: How do you stay sharp at this point of your career? Are you doing a lot of of reading or listening to podcasts or like continuing education? Do you have mentors that you still rely on?
0: Yeah, I've become pretty good friends with a couple of the coaches in the NCAA and I talk to them about training sometimes, not often, to be honest with you. Um, It's more about, hey, I'm having this situation with the athletes like or biomechanics. I I have – super lucky, I have a couple friends that – well, I guess they would be colleagues, but that coach at the – Pro level, and so sometimes I can contact them and say, "Hey, check this video out. Like, check out these biomechanics. Like, what what drill can I do to fix this little, you know, drop in the hip or something like that?" But as far as just actual workouts, not so much. Um, I do read, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I try to stay up on the latest and greatest of whatever physio, just whatever research is out there. But mostly, it's about application of drills or things that we're doing in the weight room I have s- different people I talk to but it's not um it just has it's evolved into just random conversations and kind of a let me ask you what you think about it but not I don't know I just try to stay up on it i feel i feel pretty confident with what I'm doing because I feel like it has worked for us here at BYU. And that might look different from someone that's training at sea level, which may look different for someone who has a different type of athlete or someone who's training at higher altitude. And so common things, yes, but, I'm also super competitive and I want to beat everyone. So I don't necessarily (laughs) want to talk about what I'm doing in training with other coaches. Fair enough.
1: A couple more things before we wrap up here. What was the jump like for you from a smaller Division II school to a D1 program like BYU?
0: I feel like the transition was super smooth and I'm not sure why. Maybe I just didn't. Looking back now, I'm kind of wowed at how it all fell into place. But I think while I was doing it, I was so focused on what I was building and coming to BYU was exciting. We had had, even though I was at a small division too, we had had some athletes that had really good individual success. And so I think that, you know, we had a kid in the Olympic trials, we had a national champion and just, you know, it, it was it was just on a smaller scale, but we did have some, level of success that could, you know, we would show up to meets and want to be all the D1 kids. We just had a chip on our shoulder. And so I think coming here into BYU with a women's team that had been successful in the early 2000s, but in the last decade before I got here, I think the highest finish was 19th at NCAAs. um, it It was kind of an exciting... Time to rebuild. It's always fun to take something and make it better, you know. Um, I think it's a lot harder to take a program that's already at its peak and and keep it there. That that might have looked a little different, but for me, it was just the excitement, and it was a lot of hard work. I I, I am a coach that I don't I don't know how to explain it, but this this is not a title. It, it's just like part of who I am. These kids are my family, um, and I'm very clear about that when I recruit them. I was just super invested and I was very excited and the sky was the limit and I didn't know any better, you know? So we just came in and we worked hard and there was talent here. I knew that there was talent and just never put any limits on us. So the transition was hard on a personal aspect because it was a lot more time, but it wasn't hard from a professional aspect. I feel like it was really smooth.
1: Were you ever intimidated at all?
0: No. I want to sound humble. I mean, I want it to come across like I am a very humble person and very grateful. Um, But I'm intimidated when your women are ready to line up at the NCAA championships and you're like, whoa, we're trying to do some pretty crazy things right now. Um, But not really. I, I get nervous. The better I think we can do, the more nervous I am. My athletes know that. But I also... I also like to be really confident. And so, no, I I think intimidation probably wouldn't be the right word. Nervous, yes. Maybe a little scared, yeah. But I think the confidence tries to – it overtakes any form of intimidation that I might feel. And, you know, your athletes feel what you feel. Yep. And if they feel that I'm nervous, great, because they know I've told them. If I'm nervous, that means we're about to do something – the potential is there to do something really magical. Um, but I'm also super confident. And I think that gives my women confidence when they look over and they see me at a track meet. Like, okay, she's she's feeling confident. It's good. Um, but not intimidated. I, I And my women aren't intimidated. That's the crazy part, right? All of a sudden, we get here year one, two, three, four, and these BYU women are just they don't care who they're lining up against. And it's great. I, that's, that is probably the best thing I've done in the four years is I have put women on the line that do not care who they're lining up against. They just want to beat you. And that that's great. I, I had a college coach, a male coach actually at Stanford invite a couple of years ago during outdoor season, asked me what the secret was to coaching women. And I was like, huh? It's like, yeah, your women are just doing so well. Like, what's the secret? It's like, oh, well, you just have to, you just have to be strong you have to create really strong women. And his reply was, so do you guys lift really heavy in the off season in the summer? Or are you lifting heavy in the season? I was like, no, 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 dude. Like
1: He didn't get it.
0: Strong on the inside. <laughs> Sorry, and yeah. yeah, you know, it's funny because I was like, really? Um, but that really is it. And I, I think out of all the accomplishments and all the great things that have happened in the last four years, the biggest... For me, the greatest thing is the amount of confidence these women walk around with, the amount of confidence they race with, because that is the amount of confidence they're going to take out into the world and they're now going to have that no one can take away from them. Um, And and that's been really exciting to watch that develop and help build that and then watch it come to fruition in, in these races. And yeah, that's probably my proudest thing that I have done here at BYU.
1: Well, I really, I really, really appreciate that approach. So thank you for that. Shifting gears into a completely different direction. Over the past few months, we've seen a few men's track programs get cut at different schools. And fortunately, BYU has not been among the affected and no women's programs, certainly major women's programs that I'm aware of have been affected. But you know, as a coach and as someone who is doing this as a, her profession at the collegiate level. When you see that sort of stuff happening, does it worry you at all for the sport or what that might mean for the future?
0: It's heartbreaking and gut-wrenching when you see that. Before I came to BYU, I was at a small D2 school and there were several different times that the men's cross-country and track program were talked about being, you know, on the chopping block possibly based on, budget cuts or furloughs or whatever was going to happen. And luckily that never happened, but it's, it's a coach's worst nightmare um, to have someone lose an opportunity. And, and that's what you're doing when you cut sports is you're taking opportunities away from, from athletes that you just can't replace. And so it is, it is, it's a heartbreak to see that happening. And I understand the times and the financial distress that universities and athletic departments and ADs are under and the tough decisions that have to be made. But I'd like to think that cutting sports is not the answer. And I'm not in those rooms when the conversations are happening. But I I believe that collegiate sports are an investment. And I think that investing in people is one of the greatest things that we can do it, it will it will pay dividends forever and ever and ever and so um i'm very passionate about saving sports at the high school level at the collegiate level uh at all levels i think it's an integral part of our society and it it sports give so much hope and teach so many lessons and so much growth comes from it i think i think we have to do what we can to to stand up and fight for, for saving sports.
1: Yeah, it's got to be more than just a line item. Exactly. Last question. And you've answered this kind of indirectly throughout this conversation, but I'm going to put it to you straight. As a coach, what is your main job
0: or role? Empowering women. Here at BYU and elsewhere, it would be empowering people. It's simple.
1: I love it. I think that's a great place to wrap up this conversation. Dilji Taylor, thank you so much for the last hour or so. I've really enjoyed this conversation. I wish you and your women well the rest of this year and into 21. And thank you so much for coming on the Morning Shakeout podcast.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: All right, thank you so much for listening in to the Morning Shakeout Podcast. A big thank you to both Gatorade Endurance and Inside Tracker for sponsoring this episode. I've been using Gatorade Endurance formula before and during some of my workouts recently to ensure that I'm adequately energized and hydrated, and so far, so good. I love the watermelon flavor, and it's also available in lemon lime, orange, and cherry. Check out and try some of Gatorade Endurance's different options for yourself this offseason. Use the code SHAKEOUT20 and get 20% off your purchase at GatoradeEndurance.com. That's GatoradeEndurance.com and use the code SHAKEOUT20 at checkout to get 20% off your purchase. I've been using Inside Tracker to keep tabs on my blood work the past two years in an effort to optimize my nutrition and subsequently my health, performance, and recovery. Inside Tracker is the ultra personalized nutrition platform that analyzes your blood and DNA biomarkers along with your lifestyle habits to help you optimize your body and reach your goals. As we head into the holiday season, take advantage of Inside Tracker's best deal of the year and take control of your health and wellness with $200 off the Ultimate Plan, which is their most comprehensive package. Use the code GIFTFROMMORNSHAKEOUT. That's GIFTFROMMORNSHAKEOUT, M O R N SHAKEOUT at insidetracker.com or check the show notes to make sure that you get it right. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend about it or throw up a post on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook and encourage your friends and followers to listen and subscribe. You can also leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you're listening to this on, which only takes a minute and it really means a lot to me. If you want to support my work directly, you can become a member on Patreon at themorningshakeout.com slash support. I put out a separate weekly podcast on there called The Weekly Rundown, which I co-host with my friend and colleague, Billy Yang, and I offer other exclusive perks and sneak peeks from time to time. Last two things before we wrap up. I'd like to give a shout out, as always, to my man, John Summerford. He's my audio ninja for this show and makes every episode sound clear and amazing. Also, thank you to Jeffrey Stern for the social media assistance and Chris Douglas for handling sponsorship sales. Finally, if you're digging the podcast, I think you will love the Morning Shakeout email newsletter. Every Tuesday morning, I give my take on what's happening in the world of running, along with a short collection of things that I've been thinking about, reading, and listening to. And you can sign up to receive it at themorningshakeout.com slash subscribe. Okay, that's it. I'm Mario Fraioli, and this has been another episode of the Morning Shakeout podcast.